Welcome to Helping Challenging Children. This podcast is for adults who want to understand why children behave the way they do and how to support them to increase their ability to self-regulate and to become more independent. My name is Dr. Pat McGuire. I'm a developmental and behavioral pediatrician who and I have been working with these children for over 30 years, and I can tell you that with the right support, they all do great. So enjoy these podcasts, and hopefully you learn a little bit each time. Greetings. When I was a child, my mother called me strong-willed. I wouldn't passively comply with directions or orders. I wanted to understand why I was being told to do something. I didn't realize it then, but the basis for my need was anxiousness. I didn't want to make a mistake, get hurt, or be embarrassed. I had my three why questions, which were, why me? I had three sisters and wasn't sure why I was being singled out when they were as capable as I was to do the task. I also felt that I was busy with whatever I was doing and that whichever of my sisters wasn't doing anything should then do the task. Why now? There were times when I understood why me or else my mother answered the question so it made sense. But why did it have to be at that minute? I was in the middle of something and felt that she could wait until I was done. After all, she did that to me all the time, so my request seemed reasonable, at least to me. Why this way? Even if I understood and complied to the the first two whys, there would be times when my mother wanted a task done in a particular way but I could envision completing the task in another way just as well and felt my way was quicker so I could get back to my activities. Unfortunately, the response I quite often got was not an answer to my why question. Rather, it was because I said so or because I am the parent. Now that made no sense to me since it only told me what I already knew. She said it, and she was my parent. Those were who answers to my why questions. This would lead me to getting frustrated and saying with more emotion, so she might understand her error, but why me? Why now? Why this way? Needless to say, there were times I was sent to my room or spanked for being strong-willed and non-compliant. But I was also frustrated because I didn't understand her whys for choosing me. Luckily, I was not diagnosed oppositional defiant disorder. Nowadays, I would be diagnosed, however, or at least close to it. But I know that there are many reasons for how I reacted or responded the way I did now that I am an adult. It makes me frustrated, however, to realize that adults still don't understand how to respond to the whys and understand where they are coming from. This knowledge would likely result in many fewer children being diagnosed with ODD 
and later having to deal with mental health problems such as conduct disorder, anxiety, ADHD, and depression. It would also decrease the rate of drug and alcohol use in this population. Let's take a look at what oppositional defiant disorder is. The definition of ODD states that there are problems with self-control of emotions and behaviors. There are problems with actions or behaviors that violate the rights of others. According to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, fifth edition, also known as DSM-5, ODD consists of a pattern of angry, irritable mood, argumentative, defiant behavior, or vindictiveness. This pattern lasts at least six months and is demonstrated by at least four symptoms from the above categories and exhibited with at least one other individual who is not a sibling. As with siblings, all bets are off. Studies have determined that the prevalence of ODD is between two to 14%, with males having it more commonly than females in a range of three to one up to nine to one. Conduct disorder, which can evolve from, AD, from ODD, is seen in two to 16% of these patients. The presence of either ODD or CD conduct disorder predicts a, a poor future outcome for the child. Examples of this are increased risk of adverse life events, increased risk of anxiety or depression, and if the symptoms persist into adulthood, approximately 54% of those eventually diagnosed as conduct disorder will be diagnosed as antisocial personality disorder. The first category that I mentioned was angry and irritable mood. This would have to be seen in the often to always situation since everybody can be angry or irritable occasionally. When it is seen often to always, behaviors that would, describe, that would be described consist of often and easily loses temper, is frequently touchy and easily annoyed by others, is often angry and resentful. The second category is argumentative and defiant behavior. Now, I see this as getting very subjective since I have known parents and other adults who were adamant that children were to be seen and not heard and should just do what they're told to without questions or concerns discussed. These are frequently parents and adults who believe in an authoritarian model of control. This is very much like you'd see with a, a dictator. It's my way or the highway. Again, in order to qualify under the ODD diagnosis, the child has to exhibit the behaviors often to always. The behaviors noted under this category are often argues with adults or people in authority, often actively defies or refuse to comply with adults' requests or rules often deliberately annoys or upsets people, often blames others for his or her mistakes or misbehavior. The third category is called vindictiveness. This describes a person disposed to seek revenge or be revengeful. These children feel that they have been wronged 
or harmed in some way. Their only recourse is to make the other person feel the same way. This tends to show problems with social emotional control. For children, these behaviors again need to be more often to always compared to their peers. So often spiteful or vindictive has shown spiteful or vindictive behavior at least twice in the past six months. As I mentioned, when I described myself growing up, I could possibly have been labeled as ODD, although I was not as bad as some children. The behaviors and thus the diagnosis can vary in severity. Some would be considered mild, where symptoms occur in only one setting, such as only at home, school, work, or with peers. As you noted, I didn't say with siblings because all bets are off there. It could be moderate with some symptoms occurring in at least two settings, or it can be severe with some symptoms occurring in three or more settings. For some children, symptoms may first be seen only at home, but with time, it may extend to other settings such as school and with friends. This depends a great deal on how well they get along with others outside of their family. This in turn relies on differences in approach. Researchers have proposed that there may be several subtypes of ODD. In the 2014 edition of the Journal of the Canadian Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, there was a letter to the editor which proposed three types. There was stimulus dependent. These children also had ADHD and both the oppositional defiant and ADHD symptoms showed improvement with the use of medications for ADHD. The second group were cognitive overload. They have learning language and social processing problems which are more impairing than they'd find in children with ADHD. The third type was the fearful ODD group. These children were highly aroused and they had frequent stress reactions due to fear of loss or shame. There have been other studies which have found that two thirds of children diagnosed with ODD had anxiety as a foundational issue. This lends credence to this class. This group also tends to have a history of trauma and thus mistrusts authorities. Another study in the 2021 edition of the Canadian Journal of Psychiatry suggested the following classes. There was a low ODD class, which showed low oppositional and low irritable behaviors. There was a moderate ODD class, which showed heightened oppositional behavior, but low irritable behavior and a high ODD class, which were increased in both oppositionality and irritability. This study found that 26.4% could be described as high ODD, 31.9% were moderate, and 41.7% were low ODD. The high group also had the most com comorbid affective problems. There was also a potential for a fourth group which had low oppositional, but increased irritability behaviors. And this was felt to fit the group of children who were at the greatest risk of having repeated criminal behaviors. When you look at how 
kids may end up with oppositional defiant behavior. There are three areas we have to look at, which are temperament, development, and the environment. Looking first at temperament, since the mid-1950s, there has been more research on the role of temperament in the diagnosis of childhood disorders, such as ADHD, ODD, anxiety, and conduct disorder. The five models of temperament that have been used in research uh, during this time are number one, the behavioral styles approach of Chess and Thomas, which is what I tend to use, the criterial approach of Buss and Plowman, the psychobiological approach of uh, Rothbart, the emotional regulation model of Goldsmith and Campos, and the behavioral inhibition model of Kagan. My own chart reviews of over 1,100 children and adolescents in my practice from between 1995 through 2016 has shown that the children who met the criteria for ODD had elevations in the temperament traits of rhythmicity, adaptability, negative mood, and persistence. The traits of low adaptability and negative mood were the most elevated compared to children who were not felt to have ODD when comparing temperament traits to the DSM criteria for ODD on the Vanderbilt checklist. This would be consistent with what other models have shown in regards to more problems with effortful control and ability to handle transitions or changes and negative affect. If you wanna learn more about uh, temperament, check out uh, my online course, Never Assume, Get to Know Children uh, Before Labeling Them uh, on my website, which is www.helpingchallengingchildren.org online slash stores. In 2014, uh, there was a college thesis that looked at temperament and uh, using a different temperament model. And overall, the study suggested that high negative affect, low conscientiousness, and low agreeableness were associated with ODD. Early assessment of these traits may be clinically useful in identifying children at risk for ODD given that there may be early markers for ODD symptoms and impairment. Buss and Plowman's emotional, Emotionality, Activity, Sociability, Temperament Survey for Children has been used in a number of studies to look at emotionality and later behavioral problems such as ODD. They found there was a trend toward higher emotionality with later disruptive behaviors, but it has not been as robust as findings using the Chess and Thomas model and the Rothbart model. The second area we look at for children that can be at risk for ODD is their own biology or development. So when you look at children, you look at neurodevelopmental disorders as risk factors. There are six neurodevelopmental disorders. Number one is intellectual developmental disorder. Number two is autism spectrum disorder. Number three is communication language disorder. Number four is ADHD. Number five is learning disorders. And number six are motor movement disorders, which includes Tourette's syndrome. The most common neurodevelopmental disorders that can lead to a diagnosis of ODD are ADHD, which is comorbid with ODD in about 50% of the cases, and autism spectrum disorder or ASD due to problems with transition and social communication. According to a study 
in Peer J, which is a um, peer-reviewed journal, in 2014, social interaction problems, which is one of the ASD domains, was, were the strongest neurodevelopmental covariates of the behavioral problems in both genders identified as ODD, while ADHD-related hyperactivity and impulsive, impulsiveness in boys and inattention in girls stood out as important covariates of conduct disorder-like problems. Neurobiologic studies such as structural MRI and functional MRI have looked at findings in relation to executive function skills, which are called hot and cool. And they have shown that children with ODD tend to have smaller brain structures and lower brain activity in the hot executive function or EF related brain areas. The hot EF areas are the bilateral amygdala, bilateral insula, right striatum, left medial and superior frontal gyrus, and the left precuneus. The amygdala was very specific to ODD and conduct disorder, and it was not dependent on a comorbid diagnosis of ADHD. It is also important to point out that the brain areas mentioned are related to the limbic system, especially the amygdala, and are affected by the fight or flight system. There are no abnormalities that could, would be consistent with the problems in the cool EF areas of the brain, other than the higher activity of the left precuneus. The areas of the brain involved cool EF would be the cerebellum and the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. As mentioned before, there are structural differences and functional differences in the ODD brain. ODD children were also fine to have higher levels of certain hormones and neurotransmitters, which led them to being more reactive and aggressive. For example, they have elevated adrenal androgens, such as DHEA and testosterone, which were elevated compared to controls or to children with other diagnoses, including ADHD. Children with ODD were also found to have lower baseline heart rates compared to controls, but also higher heart rates after being provoked or frustrated compared to controls. They were also found to have lower median cortisol levels than controls, lower 5-HIAA and lower HBA levels. All of these together were congruent with an under-aroused automatic nervous system or ANS. The automatic nervous system controls your bodily functions and reactions at a subconscious level. It is the control system of such functions as the heart rate, digestion, respiratory rate, pupillary response, and urination. This system is the primary mechanism in control of the fight or flight response. So children who end up labeled ODD they have an underroused sense of when things are getting stressful. And so they can't develop compensatory strategies and instead feel like they're hit uh, right in the face when it finally registers. It has also been found that some children with ODD have, are, have overly sensitive postsynaptic serotonergic receptors. Most of these children, however, were found to also have ADHD. 
These receptors are in control of mood, cognition, and memories. When you look at these children, the third area of concern is their environment. And children and adolescents who have been exposed to adverse childhood experiences called ACEs are at greater risk for diagnoses such as ODD. The ACEs that are direct attacks on them consist of the following areas, physical, sexual, and verbal abuse, along with physical and emotional neglect. Another area that they can be affected by is their own physical impairments, which make them more at risk for people uh, harassing or bullying them, and then they react. But also these children, if they have difficult temperaments, are more apt to become oppositional and defiant due to frustration and embarrassment. Examples of physical impairments could include a stutter, a gait abnormality due to club foot, a hip dysplasia, or cerebral palsy. Mental health impairments also affect these children. And according to the CDC, 7.4% of children aged three to 17 have a diagnosed behavioral problem. That's one in 14. 7.1% of children aged three to 17 have diagnosed anxiety problems. Again, one in 14. And 3.2% of children aged three to 17 have been diagnosed with depression, which is one in 31. So if children have mental health disorders already, they are at higher risk to develop oppositional defiant disorder. If there's other issues with their neurodevelopmental growth or their temperament. These children are also affected by ACEs that affect the others in their family. If they have a family member who was depressed or diagnosed with another mental illness, that can affect them, as is being addicted to alcohol or another substance, or being in prison. Also witnessing a mother being abused or losing a parent to separation, divorce, or the reason can make them more vulnerable to becoming oppositional and defiant. Finally, the parenting styles can make a difference. Authoritative parents have the least problems with children uh, and are less likely to have an oppositional defiant child. Yeah, in contrast, parents that are authoritarian, so very black and white, very dictatorial, have a very high rate of children becoming oppositional defiant, as do uh, parents who are permissive or indulgent or uninvolved. So how do we go about managing these children? Well, first we have to understand each of the areas we've just covered. We have to understand that a child is not born with oppositional and defiant disorder. He is born with strengths and vulnerabilities based on his temperament and his biology. These areas are then influenced for better or worse by his environment. The more we can address the environmental components, the better the chances for his outcome. So that means we have to be able to supply resources to help parents deal with their own traumas, provide counseling services for mental health disorders, provide services to overcome any substance use problems, provide aid to them so they can finish high school or get their GED, followed with whatever further education will allow them to gain employment, which will allow them to provide for their family and to assist them in finding housing in neighborhoods where their children feel safe to play outdoors.
It is imperative that we look at the child diagnosed with ODD as a child in need of support and services, not a misbehaving child who needs punishments and restrictions. The latter will only lead to future adults with anxiety, depression, and possible diagnoses of antisocial personality disorder, lower educational attainment, lower employment ability, poor social interactions, and leading to them being a drain on our society's resources. As we help parents deal with these issues, we also need to put into place services to help parents manage their child, help the child develop more positive skills, provide them with family-based supports and school-based supports, which will allow the child to grow in a positive trajectory. The following are what needs to be put into place. For parents, we need to help them improve their positive parenting skills. We need to help them enhance skills in problem solving, conflict resolution, and communication. For the child, we need to help them develop effective communication, problem solving, and anger management skills. For the family, we need family counseling and support to deal with the stresses in their relationships and the home environment. And finally, in the classroom, we need to encourage the teacher or school counselor to provide social skills sessions to improve peer relationships. These are children that can either turn out well or turn out poorly, but it's all based on how we, as part of the environment, respond to how the child is temperamentally and biologically so that they can manage to grow rather than wither. That's my call to action for you. Find out how to help and go from looking for their strengths and putting in place what they need to get stronger yet. Mm -hmm.